morning. Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall at both campuses. And uh, if you need some help with that, and if you're watching uh, and you're gathered together at the Lompoc campus, we are so glad that you're joining us today. Maybe you didn't realize that there's a gathering of people right now at 213 North J Street in Lompoc. And they're gathered together, one church in a couple locations. Amen. And you'll see them at the midweek on Thursdays, and we're so glad that you're joining with us. So whether or not you're in the room here in Buellton or you're at the Lompoc campus, if you need a Bible, you can slip up your hand if you forgot one. We have one for you. And then if you don't have a Bible, take that blue Bible home. That's our gift to you. We pray that you take it. You read it every single day because every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want you to turn in your Bible to the first book of the Bible. Uh, the Bible is, an, uh, is really a library of books, 66 books, starts with the book of Genesis, which means beginning. And so I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. We've been in this series over the past several weeks, and it's looking like it's going to take us many more weeks to come. And uh, we've been journeying through the, the start of the scriptures because we believe that all of the Bible is all about Jesus from beginning to end. And, and, and oftentimes uh, we can uh, kind of get lost or stumble through when someone hands you a book. I think that's something that we got to do better at explaining. Go, hey, read the good book. And really we, we should say read the good library of books and, and that have all these different genres and different uh, literature written at different times by all these different people. And so we want to uh, show that all of scripture is God breathed and profitable for us. And we use it uh, for exhortation. It challenges us, it convicts us, and ultimately it teaches us all things when it pertains to godliness. Amen? And so uh, we don't just pick and choose uh, what verses and what passages. We feel God's leading us to, uh, to go through the scripture. And what we want to do is equip you to do that yourself. Uh, not just open this book with me on Sunday, but open this book through the week and begin to see what God has for us. And so that's one of the motivations that we've had for the book of Genesis. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus, but we're going to talk about Jesus uh, in the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis. So, I want you to look at Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. And buckle your seats if you can. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, I am your reward. And your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household shall be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look, towards heaven and number, of the, and number of the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous, righteousness, a verse that we find in Romans chapter four. And Abraham believed God and he, it was counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur and the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all of these 
and he cut them in half. And he laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell over Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be my sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions." As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried in a good, at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for their iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between each between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace today that this ancient text that can seem puzzling, confusing to our modern ears, don't let us be limited by the page, but let us begin to see through your eyes Help us to understand what you have for us. We thank you. We praise you. Let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. How many of you like to read? Half of you are liars, statistically. (laughs) Just statistically, right? Like, just... It's a trick question. How many of you, how many of you are avid? Not just you like it, but you're avid. You read all the time. Notice there's a little less hands in the room. Like you, you love it. You're the type of person that when the movie came out and everyone was like, man, this is the most amazing movie. They're like, the book was better. <laughs> how, how many, how many of you, the book was better people do we have? Oh my gosh. Right, right. Uh, some of you, uh, you're just those people, you love it. And it, and it comes, uh, it just leaps off the page and you, you've expanded your imagination. My, my son is an avid breeder. Um, I, I'm not so much. And uh, if you think public speaking is hard, you should try public reading. It's a nightmare. And uh, public reading of an ancient old text where we have no idea what these names are. And I like to skip them from time to time. Cause I can tell you where I'm from hooked on phonics did not work for me. All right. Like sounded out. It was like, how do you spell bright, like bright and Sprite? All right. Uh, lot. <laughs> and, and, and yet, uh, I, I, my son who's nine years old is a fantastic reader and, and he, he's reading last week. He read his third Narnia book. He, he read Prince Caspian the other day. And, and, and this is a book from the 1940s and he goes, Hey dad, uh, how about I'm almost finished with Prince Caspian. Would you read this uh, last chapter to me out loud? And I was like, yeah, bud, I'd love to read with you. And I got about two pages into the last chapter and you could tell, you could tell that he was starting to get a little bit of a twitch. And I was like, uh, re, 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 he's like reap a cheat. All right. And, uh, his name's Reepicheep. I was like, how do you know that? Right. And, 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 and about two pages into this thing, he's like, it's okay, dad, I'll read it. And <laughs> like, like you imagine my offense. I just read this passage to you, but my nine-year-old was like, it's good, dad. I got it. Right. Uh, like he, he looked at me like, no, he's like, I get, I can just read it faster. And, 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 and here's some of my problem. I got to be honest when I, when I read this book and, and Mark Thompson, my good friend, who's been a part of my sermon prep team for uh, quite some time, we were having this discussion about reading. He was a grammar school teacher and he, he taught in the public school system and, and read, uh, read the Narnia books to kids for decades. And, and we begin to discuss uh, some of 
our issues with, with reading. And, and because uh, I, I'm a Bible guy and I, I teach Bible for a living and uh, it's the only gig I got, pray for me, all right, if this goes bad. Uh, <laughs> Right? And, and so uh, uh, we were talking about, sometimes I have a hard time reading nonfiction or, or even a novel or, or fiction. I, I got a friend who's an author, just sent me his book, a novel. And, and, uh, and we were talking about, but I'm, I'm so nervous because I have a really hard time reading uh, just for the sake of reading and allow, because I begin to exegete, uh, exegete the text. What I mean by that is, is as, as someone who, who needs to understand the scriptures, and sometimes I think we have a habit of this with the Bible. We kind of go each individual word and we kind of break down every verse and, and what is this word and what does this word mean? And sometimes can we be honest because that's how we read it so choppy and, and man, I, I don't understand it. Sometimes our imaginations, I think when we read the scriptures get limited. And, and, and then what we hope for is some of, so, so then we put the book down and then we rely on something we've seen. See, we live in a generation that, that we were raised on television and some of us turned out all right. Okay. And, uh, and yet uh, some of us, uh, we, we've raised visually, or maybe you grew up in the church and it was the felt boards and we took like uh, the little pictures of, of Abraham on the felt. How many of you are just out yourself right now? Because we need to know who to stay away from. Uh, how many of you were the Bible babies and the felt board kids, right? All right, look at them, look around, right? Like I, I was in that, man. And, and like we, we, we had just like, you know, Noah and, and Sarah and Isaac, and they were like one little uh, kind of uh, picture on the felt board, and they kind of moved around. Or, or maybe, you, maybe, you, maybe you grew up watching the Ten Commandments. How many of you remember Charleston uh, Hess, what's his name? I don't know, right? You, you know, all the gray hairs are the ones who told us who he was, right? <laughs> right. And how many of you remember the Ten Commandments, right? Like, and, and sometimes what happens is, is our theology, our Bible uh, kind of understanding gets limited to the images that we've seen. See, what happens is, is we can, we, we can kind of get trapped or isolated. That's why when someone who's an avid reader, that's why someone who loves books, and then they go back and watch the movie, they're like, they just put that entire thing in a box. They gave me an, and we're like, we're, you're crazy. This is, this is Hollywood. I, I mean, I mean this, this is studio production. How, how is it that they limited? And then you go, yeah, but it's, the mind and imagination that God gave human beings. And yet how could Hollywood ever compete? How could, they, how could they ever give you an image that was expansive as what God wants to create? The Bible says no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man what God has in store. And yet sometimes what's happening is our upbringing, our images, our images can limit our imagination. Our, our images, like, isn't that why we talk to our kids about their screen time and we talk to them about the movies they watch? It's like, we want them to go out. Remember, like, you know, your parents are telling you all the time. They're giving you all the advice of what they shouldn't have done with you. Remember? Thanks, Dad. And, and, and yet, they're like, man, I remember when kids had imaginations and they, they could just go out with sticks and have a great time, right? Now they're in there with those iPads, you know? And I was like, well, Moses had a tablet, you know? And... <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. And, and, and yet... Uh, we, we realize that young, we realize that oftentimes uh, because something has an image, it can limit the expanse of the imagination. I think the imagination is given by God. I, I think the expanse of creativity is given. We have a creative God and he has made us in his image. And, and so when we look at creation, the Bible tells us that we can actually see the invisible qualities of God. And you look at creation, you go, man, I, this is, this is a mate. Like how could, like what is 
See, we like have this wonder when we look at creation and we think about the creator and then the same thing can happen, but on a smaller scale, you look at a painting, you look at a building, it it never quite measures up to the expanse of landscape and, and the universe and gazing at the stars and one shooting star. I miss them all the time. I was like, did you see that? I was like, no. I was like, what, what was it? She was like, it was a shooting star. I was like, it was probably Elon Musk, actually. <laughs> right? And, and, and yet, at a smaller scale, we look at what m- men have created, what artists, what men and women have made, and we stand in awe and we wonder. But yet when it comes to God's creation, we can go on an excursion. We can go on an expedition, we can, we can actually interact with his creation. It's not just reflection. And most often, the, the, the creativity that, that human beings create is only some type of glimpse. I mean, I remember talking to someone who was actually working in the technology field, and he was beginning to talk about <clears throat> making a BMW drive at night. Which is like, that's a bad idea. Uh, it's like, I, don't, I think I want control of my car. So if you're self-driver, self-driving cars, you're probably in the wrong room. And uh, just kidding. But here's what they, like, like, it was amazing hearing the technology. And, and, and he, was, he, he was talking about how they were studying bats. And how they were looking at how bats fly, how they, they move. And they, they have this, this ability at night through sonar, basically, that they're able to navigate in such a sophisticated way. I, 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 know, I know who made bats. Right. And so, and so even in this, like you go, man, the technology is amazing. And then you go, you know, you know where they got it. (laughs) Right. You you know where they got that idea? You know what they had to study, what they had to look at, what they tried to recreate was something that was already there. So you can be a builder, you can be a painter, you can build a cathedral, but you have to work with raw materials. You're not really creating anything. You're assembling something. And yet God who is the creator has made for us, revealed to us his invisible qualities, has put out there for us something that we can look. But uh, here, here's what happens is uh, I, I think because of our modern world, because of we exist with image, we, we exist with screens. And, and, and now I, I've seen some of you, you put a cell phone in your hand. You guys are starting to go, I got the whole world in my hands. I got the whole, like, so, so, so you, the, the thing that all wisdom and knowledge has been given in, to you by Google Right, and, and yet images can limit our perspective. Right, we, we can have an opinion on a news story based on one image. Not knowing all the sides, not knowing all the footage, not knowing everything that's happened. All the time we're having to wrestle with like what actually happened and what am I seeing and how do I know? See, images begin to limit my perspective. And then God gives this commandment to Moses, we'll read later, to have no graven images of him. Have you ever thought about like, why, like, why not? Like, like I, I want to, I want to see, I want to know what he looks like. And to make an image of God is now to limit your ability to perceive actually who he is. And yet so often we want to try to memorialize. We want to image. We, we want something symbolically to show us what he is like we're just we're just made that way and and actually Abram is no different in this moment God speaks to him he's he's having a conversation with the God of the universe and he's he's actually just brought him out of battle he he's given him the ability to conquer 
kings and he's brought back the spoils of war. And then God speaks to him and says, Abram, I'm going to make you great. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram's starting to go like, if I could have everything, but you, you haven't given me this family. I don't have a son. And can I just stop for a moment as a pastor and go, like, if your desire is family and children, and that's not happened for you yet, can I tell you that I'm praying for you? Can I tell you that there are people who this is a good desire, that God has good things for you and he is your shield and you are in good company if you've prayed for children and it's not happened yet. Can I tell you that God is still good and he hears your cries? Abram was no different. He says, man, I, I, I could have if all this. And can I say for those of us with children, realize that that's the dream, baby. And sometimes it's hard and it's in the muck and the mire. And sometimes they look way more like demons than they do angels. <laughs> okay. All right. Pray for you, boy. Right. Can I just be, just be honest? It's hard. We're talking with our, our kids staff this morning. I go, man, if, if you want to practice the gifts of the, the fruits of the spirit, patience, joy, kindness, and faithfulness. When you want to put those to the test, you volunteer in kids ministry, right? <laughs> that, that, that's where you'll find it. And yet we can get so caught up. The enemy can make us think about even that the American dream of building a business and and, and having all this stuff, and yet so oftentimes to the detriment of our families. How many stories and how many movies, how, how many things can we say? Hey, you can, you can build and you can dream and you can work, but friend, don't miss the glory of God that he's put right in front of you with your family. So hold that tight. Care for those love those around you. We are with you. You are a part of this big family. And Abraham's no different. He's asking for this. He's just conquered in battle. He's been a king. Or he's conquered kings. And God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. He's delivered him out. But he goes, I am praying for a son I'm asking for a son and you haven't given me a son. And here's what's going to happen. Uh, uh, another person, a servant in, in my house, Eleazar will be my heir. That's what I got. He's, he's the best. He's not mine, but he's the best. And he will be my heir. God then speaks to him, says, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look up at the stars. And see, sometimes I think this is, this is where we, we miss the, the poetry, the, the romance, the expanse of the story. We begin to read it. And he told him to go outside a tent and said, hey, bro, look at the stars. Yep, great. It's going to outnumber. Your offspring's going to outnumber the stars. And when you read the story, you go, could you imagine such a word from God? He walks you out in your state of lacking and you hear God say to you, and that's hard, right? When, when, you, when you feel like God is speaking to you, but what you see in front of you is so vastly different. And Abram comes out of the tent and he says, look up. All this, I created all of it. Do you think that anything is too hard for me? So look up at the stars. Your offspring will outnumber the stars. And then what's Abram do? He goes, he believes him. He says, I, 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 I'm believing you. And because he believed in God, not what he could do, but he believed in God. The Bible says it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is a precursor for all of this library that we call the Bible. Paul's going to bring this particular passage up in Romans 4. 
when he begins to give a dissertation on the gospel, he's going to go, remember when God told Abraham from the beginning, because there was some argument as if God changed, if somehow the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. And he points to this particular passage. He says, you remember when all it was was faith? Do you remember when Abram believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness? Now, righteousness means to be in right standing with God, to be in right relationship with God. Now, the key part is relationship. See, relationships aren't transactional, right? Could you imagine if, if my wife got me a gift for my birthday, which is coming up? <laughs> me 36. I'm a grown man now, friends. <laughs> right? Can you imagine if my wife gave me a gift and she brings me a gift and I try to slip her a 20? Like, hey, thanks, babe. Right? How, how dirty, how terrible that would feel if I felt like that this relationship, that gift giving somehow needed to be paid for. See, relationships, although you and I experience that, and we fight against it because let's be honest, most of our interactions in relationships are somewhat transactional. You do this for me. I do this for you. You cross me. I pay you back. And <laughs> you got something for me. You got some, I got a list for you, man. I, man, as a, as a pastor, I'm going to tell you, it's been hard for me. Some people are like, pastor, I got some things against you. And I was like, I've been keeping a file on you. All right. <laughs> got some things for you. And, and yet we do that, right? We, 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 we all do that. We, we have lists and we, and we keep it. And it happens in our marriages. It happens where we're like, you did this. And so I did that. And, and then it'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm being mean to you right now. But three years ago, <laughs> it's like three, three years ago, right? Like we, we do it because these relationships are transactional. And yet first Corinthians 13, this famous passage that we quote about love says, love keeps no record of wrongs to be in right relationship, to be in right state. How could you be in right relationship? If there was a record of wrongs, you couldn't, the ledger doesn't balance up. Doesn't meet. You can't be in good standing, in good faith. That's why we use these types of languages when it comes to our credit system, when it comes to banking. We can't be in good standing. The Bible talks about this as well. But this righteousness, this relationship is not based on you doing all the right things, you crossing all the right boxes, you making sure you have it all together and making sure that your bad deeds are offset by your good deeds. But yet, how often does the enemy try to trick us into that type of behavior? The enemy tries to say, you know why this is happening? You didn't give in the offering bucket, right? You remember that? You got a flat tire. How many of you got a flat tire this week? I'm just saying. Anyways, uh, right? So like, we, we think that the enemy lies to us. goes, well, this is happening because. And if you want this to stop happening, then get your righteous acts in order. Do your righteous deeds. And then the Bible declares for us that your righteousness, when you count it up, when you add it all together, if you could get all your righteousness together, you could get it in a pile and you could present it to the Lord, it would be the amount of filthy rags. You're like going out to the bank and going, I, I have some, have some equity. I would like to trade. You're like, what is that? A pile of dirty clothes? soiled clothes that you've brought in dirty and, and, and rotting and that's that's what you and I the Bible says that when we try to measure up man the the scales will never be balanced the ledger will always be offset God's righteousness God's holiness and your good deeds lopsided scales Abram's no different God says I'm going to make you great lies about his sister or his wife says it's his sister like what won't give up his life for his wife he doesn't realize being a great nation starts with great families and you didn't think your wife had anything to do with that bro 
right? Let's just let that sink in. You want a great nation? Love your wife. Oh, this side of the room. Some wives are offended over here, all right? It's like, you want a great nation? Love your wife. That's where it starts. Giving yourself up. Showing what sacrificial leadership actually is and causing that to ripple through your families and the upbringings of nations come from great families. So the inverse is true, that the degradation of our nation has started with the breakdown of our families. So let it not be said of Crossroads Church. Let it not be said of the San Inez Valley. Let it not be said of this central coast. Let it not be said of Lompoc. Let it not be said of these coastal valleys. Let it be said that there was a contingent of people who decided, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Somebody say amen to that. And so... Right from the start, not a different God, same God. It says that God counted it to him as righteous. He believed God. Here's what he believed. In spite of his brokenness, in spite of his sinfulness, in spite of his inability to tip the scales, he trusted God when God said he would make him great and that he would give him a relationship with him. Romans 4 Tells us what we see is God providing, God pursuing, God doing. Abraham believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness. Your belief in God doing the work, your belief in God making a way where there seemed to be no way, your belief, it is counted to us as righteousness. But then Abraham goes, yeah, but show me something. Right? You ever feel like that? Yeah, you receive from God, you hear God, but God, give me a sign. Right? Come on, God, I just, I'm a visual learner. <laughs> Come on, they tell me the category, like, I, I mean, your audible voice is one thing, but I, and yet God obliges him and then he gives him a symbol and then it begins to tell us this story. And some of us don't fully understand the story. I don't fully understand the story, but I understand when I allow my imagination, I don't get caught up in the details. I allow the story to be the story. God says to Abraham, he says, here's what I want you to do. You should go get a heifer, a goat. I want to get you, get some birds all these different categories, all these different ranges of animals. And I want you to cut them in half. He's like, say what? He's like, I want you to do it. You're like, no, right? I'm going to need a rancher to do this for me. <laughs> Can you have me? Can you have that? Right? Like, because our mind, we're so removed from this type of culture that we don't fully understand. But, but this is normal. Like our, our society is so removed that something gave its life so that we could live. And then God does this thing that's so different. It's not, he doesn't say slaughter it for a feast. He doesn't give a festival. He begins to lay before him an image, a symbolic image of life being torn apart and laid to the side. And then it tells us, and we realize it's, it's not just once upon a time. It's just not never, never land. It, it's not just like in this, he goes, it, it says that Abram is there and he's like, I don't even know why we're doing this. It, it's, it's, it, it's in the warmth of the day. It's just before night. And now the, the, uh, the birds of warmth of the day, it's just before night. And now the, the, uh, the birds of prey are coming down to feast on the carca carcasses. And Abram's running around going, hey, get out of here. I'm trying to do something. I don't know what I'm doing. But get here, this can't, this, this doesn't seem, this doesn't seem like a religious ritual. But can I just tell you that religion tries to paint this thing as this clean thing where you get it right and you have your right stuff on and, and the ceremony goes the right way and there's no distractions and we're all pious and presented before the Lord. But I can tell you that the relationship with God is like any other relationship. It is messy. Yeah. 
And here's the image. Life torn apart. Separated. As if God is beginning to tell what happened in the beginning. There was life, but life was torn apart. And there was a great chasm. Abram's looking sitting there and then it says and then a great darkness fell over the scene and then it says Abram fell into a dark sleep and God began to speak to him and in the moment it seems like a terrible scene the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him Mark and I were talking about what happens sometimes when the scriptures get read to us. See, sometimes like my son, when we read the book or we read together, there's something that happens. And this is why Sunday mornings are so important. This is why just your own personal Bible reading, you can get caught in the details. And you're like, I don't get it. But then all of a sudden you hear the story. It's read aloud to you. That's why teachers use audio books and they read to their students because all of a sudden the imagery, they're not caught up on the words and their own inability to pronounce it, their own inability to understand, but they get immersed in the story. See, this was mostly oral tradition until Moses wrote it down. They would tell the stories and their imaginations would run wild. And all of a sudden you can see the story much differently when you begin to come together. And since the time of Jesus, people have been gathering together and they've been reading the scriptures aloud. And they've been allowing God to speak to them through their imagination through not images and storybooks and felt boards where you're limited, but where you go, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? What is the, the, the expanse of the story? Life was sown in half, split apart, sin fractured everything. And what you know as life is not really life. It's been torn apart. A great darkness falls on Abram. God says to him this prophecy. He begins to tell him, like, your children, your offspring, this great offspring that I've been telling you about, they're going to be captive for 400 years. Fast forward the story, and you read about the Israelites under the Egyptians and this prophecy being told hundreds and hundreds of years before. But he says, then what will happen is God will, I will deliver them. And out of this nation, what the enemy meant for evil, I'll turn around for good. They will come out with great possessions and they'll come back to the land that I promise them. And then it says this. It says, the sun had gone down, verse 17, and it was dark and behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Man, this is, this is an image that I don't fully understand. Unless I realize that it's this symbol pointing forward. When I just hear the story, we're reading it aloud and in our sermon prep, we go, man, this is, this is an interesting one. How am I going to get up and say this to these people? <laughs> right? And once upon a time, there was a man named Abram. And he, sowed a, he, he, he ripped a bunch of animals in, apart and laid them in two pieces. And, and then there was a floating fire pot that went between them. The end. It's been a stressful week. <laughs> but we begin to allow the Lord to speak to us, study. Sometimes what happens is I think our, our limitation and our natural view of things, our small view of God, our big view of us, we look, we go, well, this was some kind of cultural thing in the ancient world, uh, and this was a symbol, and this was something normative, and God used something normative to Abraham to speak something to him. We try to explain away 
this grand narrative, this symbol that God is laying before. See, God says, have no graven images of him, but throughout scripture, he would give us a reflection, an image, a glimpse, a symbol that would point forward. Many of you are married and you have a wedding ring on. That wedding ring is not your marriage. It's a symbol of your marriage. It points forward to something. Something that makes me remember the vows. It it makes me remember. See, Abram wants to trust God and he goes, give me a symbol. Give me something I can hold on to. Give me an image in my mind so that when I have doubt, when I have fear, when the enemy comes in and says, no, God did not say, give me something I can think about. God says, okay, here's what it's life. Life has been split apart. What you know to be life is merely existence because you've been separated from life. That is all of humanity. Death reigns and we are amongst it. The reality of death is ever before us. What shall we do? Go to sleep. What do you mean? Rest. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and a deep sleep came over Abram. Abram's looking, go, God, how are we going to fix this? He goes, you can't, but I will. And then it says a smoking pot and a flaming torch passes through death. That a flame of fire passes amongst death and comes out on the other side. And this will be a symbol that you will have offspring that outnumbers the stars. The Gospel of John opens this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and with Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and He was the light of men, and the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. What is this, a symbol? It's not the event, it's not the marriage, it's not the covenant, it's a symbol. It's something to hold on to. Abraham held on to it, here's what's gonna happen. You, God, not me, because I'm unable, I'm unwilling, I'm afraid, I couldn't lay my life down for my wife. I don't know what I would do if I faced death itself. Abram's put to sleep and a light goes through the darkness, goes through death. And on the other side is the the promise of a great family. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. And we've witnessed him who has passed from life to death to life again. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? For our king has walked through death and three days later, he rose again. They were pointing forward. They go, no, someday it's not gonna be us. It's not gonna be based on me. It's gonna be based on him. And here we have a Christophany, an image of Christ in the Old Testament, a flaming torch, a light shining into the darkness passes through death in order to make children of all nations. See, Abram looked forward with this symbol. He held on to it. The Bible would go on to tell us that that Abram did not receive the promise, but he was counted to him as righteousness because he believed that someday his God would do the impossible. His God would do what he could not do. And that was conquer death. Now we, how many of you, uh, 
You have a you have a cross on right now as jewelry. Have you had that? See, that's not a cross. That's a symbol of the cross. What you're wearing is not a Roman execution device. Because that's what it was. To the ancient world, it would be as asinine as you wearing an electric chair around your neck. And somehow Jesus flipped the world upside down. Why? Because he passed through death and came out on the other side. And he turned death on its head so that we could have life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. And now we, we, we trust, we believe. Not because you have it together. Like we, we, we know each other, right? You don't have it together, right? Glad we could get that off our chest. So when the enemy comes and says, you will pay. You go, no, I believe God. And it's counted to me as righteousness. How do you know? I hold on to a symbol of the cross. How do you know? Well, he gave me this image. I hold on to it. I'm reminded of it. I'm reminded that I trust God. And the Bible is this story that no one could live up. No one could hold the standard. So God became a man and he held both ends of the bargain and he passed through death that you and I may have life, that he may call children from all nations, that the promise to Abraham that those who trust God are the children of Abraham and his offspring will outnumber the stars. The universe has been telling us it's death brings life. Every meal you eat, listen friends, listen vegans, those plants were alive too, all right? <laughs> death brings life. That's been the symbol, that's been the image, that's what the universe has been telling us, why? Because it's Christ's death that has brought us life. He became a curse, he took on death, he passed through it, he rose again so that you could be his heir, joint heirs with Christ. This is good news, friend. That means all your mistakes, all your happenstance, all, all the stuff, God is doing the work and he brings you to rest with him. And it's no longer a darkness because Jesus, see the reason why Abraham's dream was darkness because what was happening in that moment when the, when the flaming fire went through these corpses was only a symbol of what would happen. But John tells me that the light has now shined into the darkness and the darkness has not defeated it. And so the world we live in is not a dark world. The world we live in is full of grace and truth from the son of God. His name is Jesus. Somebody should say amen to that. You are not in a cloud. You are not in darkness. You are in his marvelous light. And we should live as today is the day that the Lord has made. Why? Because he passed through death and he gives us life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Man, for some of you, you go, I, I want to feel that. I feel like there's a cloud of darkness. Believe God. No matter what you see, don't allow your imagination of what God can do to be limited by what you see. Allow his word to be a symphony in your bones that causes the great imagination of our God to run wild. For no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man what God has in store. So live today 
as the day of salvation. The cloud is gone, friend. You trust God, believe God, and it will be counted to you as righteousness. You will have relationship with him. Not because you're good, but because he's good. We were once dead in our trespasses and sin in which we once walked, following around the prince of the power of this world. But because of God's great mercy, to show the immeasurable riches of his grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, least anyone should boast. But this is a gift from God. For you are handcrafted. God's workmanship, that creativity, you are it. You are reflections of the greatness of God. You've been handcrafted to do good works. He's prepared in advance for you. So live and walk in them. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for every person, maybe some today going, I'm ready to take that step. Jesus, you walked through death so that I could walk with you. I've been experiencing existence, but I want life. I want fullness. Put a vision in my heart of you, oh God. Let not the surroundings, the images I see to have a hold on me. Don't let me be captive by imaginations, but let me hold fast to your word. Put a vision in our heart of you, God. When the enemy lies to us and says we're going to pay, let us hold on to the symbol of what happened at the cross. When the enemy says you'll never measure up, you remind him that Christ met the standard. And it's by grace, unmerited, undeserved favor with God that I'm saved. And I believe it. And because I believe it, like Abraham, it's counted to me as righteousness. Not because I'm good, because he is. Jesus, we thank you for the work of the cross. That you died and you rose again. And now because of that, we are the children of the most high God, and we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. And everyone said, amen. amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?